The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. A reading from Deuteronomy chapter 1 verses 19 through 33. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, You have come to the hill of country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we are. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim up there. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek out a place to pinch your tents, and fire by night, and in the cloud by day, to show you by what way you should go. This is the word of the Lord. Be Please be seated. Amos, thank you so much for reading God's word to us. And I got the uh, call to the bullpen on Friday afternoon, so I am here preaching uh, on quick prep notice. So bear with me this morning, Lord, Lord will speak. He's committed to preaching and sending his word to his people. In our passage this morning that you just heard, Moses is recounting in his sermon Israel's failure, their failure to take the promised land after God brought them up out of Egypt. God promised this land to Abraham and to his offspring. And hundreds of years later, after generations of slavery in Egypt, God brought Israel up out of slavery and set to give them what he had promised. All they had to do was take it. But instead, Israel bought. They were terrified of the evil people that currently lived in the land. They refused to go in. In fact, that fear began to twist their reality that instead of seeing 
their deliverance from Egypt as a miraculous provision, they began to see it as a curse. God brought us out to kill us. Because of their failure, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the whole generation died off and none of them would be able to go into the promised land. But now, in this text before us, years have passed and the people are once again on the edge of the promise. Moses retells the story to the next generation for this purpose. Will this next generation make the same mistake their parents did? Will this next generation miss the opportunity the Lord is giving them? Will this next generation trust the Lord who has delivered them and provided for them? Or will they let their circumstances and their fear twist their reality and view of God. One of the most important parts of this passage is how Moses retells the story. You may have noticed, he keeps talking to this generation as if they are their parents. In verse 20, he says, I said to you. In verse 22, then all of you came near. Verse 26, yet you would not go up. And there's a sense to which the next generation could say, that wasn't us. And what he's doing here over and over is Moses is forcing this generation to identify with their parents' failure. Because as members of the covenant community, they are not disconnected from the sins of their parents. And they will not see covenant renewal unless they reckon with that. And of course, the same is true for us. There can be no renewal apart from reckoning with our rebellion and remembering God's faithfulness both as individuals and also on a corporate level. So with that introduction in mind, let us pray that God would speak to us now. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before your word and we ask that you would help us do what it says. But to do that, you're going to, we need work on our hearts. Because you tell us from out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, we do. And so go to work, please, Father, on our hearts as we consider rebellion on our part and faithfulness on yours. And we pray this in your name. Amen. This morning we'll see that covenant renewal requires two things. First, it requires that we remember our rebellion. Remember that Deuteronomy is preaching, and so as we preach through Deuteronomy, we are preaching, preaching. It's three sermons from Moses. We're in the first sermon. And he is calling this next generation with a loving exhortation to remember God's mercy. In verse 20 it says, And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord your God, our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of our fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. He is speaking hope to this generation of their covenant hope 
particularly as he says, the God of our fathers. And here is where you see the mercy of God in Moses' exhortation. God is not distant. God is not detached from them. God knows their frame. He knows their weakness. And he has, in his kindness, sent his servant Moses to encourage them lovingly. How? Through the preaching of the word. Preaching at its heart reminds forgetful hearts of God's gracious promises. And that's what Moses is doing here. He's reminding forgetful people of the gracious promises of God. He said, the Lord our God is giving us. The Lord our God has set before you. He's, he's calling them to remember the promise to Abraham. And that is what preaching should do and ought to do. It should rehearse and rejoice in the covenant promises of our gracious God so that our faith and our hope in the promise leads to action and obedience. That's at the heart of preaching. That's at the heart of what Moses is doing. Notice his active commands. Go up. Take possession. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. The action is rooted in the promise. Faith in the promise will lead to them going up and taking what is theirs. And yet in verse 22, you see the people make a rather earnest request. Then all of you came near me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. They hear Moses, but they still want some confirmation with their own eyes. And so they request a scouting expedition. Understandably, this seems daunting to them, and they make a request of Moses. We hear you. We hear the promises. We hear you saying, don't be afraid, go up. Could we go get a plan? Will God's servant Moses condescend in patience and mercy and grant them this accommodation in their weakness? Well, look at verse 23. The things seem good to me. I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskel and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Again, do you see the merciful patience of God through his servant Moses where he condescends and says, I know you. I know you have needs in, in light of your fears and I'll give you that mercy to go scout out the land. It, it calls attention to the greater Moses, Jesus. In John 20, 25, who had Another one say a similar thing as the people of Israel said to Moses, could we go see? It was Thomas. You remember he had said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails 
and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And do you see the greater Moses Jesus? So mercifully and patiently bearing with the weak frame of Thomas. To where in verse 27 of that chapter he says, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. It's the same merciful God. Giving them mercy in the midst of their weakness through his servant Moses. And then God, through the greater Moses, Jesus, he gives their, this doubting man mercy to say, okay, I'll condescend, I'll accommodate, I'll let you touch. And in the, in the face of those promises and that incredible mercy of God, here's the response of the people in verse 26. Yet you would not go up. Promises and mercy. And you only rebel. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And there we see the fearful, rebellious response that we must know is in us if we are to have covenant renewal. A response of disobedience that stares right into the promises of God and stares right into the mercy of God and says, I will not. That's in us, deeper than I think any of us actually really understand and know. And to know that at its depths is at the heart of covenant renewal. Why did Israel fail to take what God was giving them? It seems verses 27 and 28 point out the two reasons for their rebellion. First, fear twisted reality and led them to live by lies. Fear twisted reality and led them to live by lies. Listen to verse 27. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us. Do you see how twisted they've become so quickly? Because the Lord hated you, he brought you out. Because the Lord hated us, he's brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. The, the very events that are the greatest proof of God's love and faithfulness to them sadly became a distorted case for God's hatred. Why? Because of their fear. Their fear twisted truth and led them to believe lies. Like this deep lie. God is against us. God hates us. What more could he have done to show them his love? Oh, he does more. 
He sends the greater Moses, his son, to the cross. What, what more could he have done for us? And yet, how often, like them, we, out of fear, twist the truth and believe, my God is against me. My God is not for me. And what causes that? Circumstances that cause us to fear and believe what's full of lies. He had provided leaders for them. He had conquered enemies. He had guided their steps. He had provided their food. He had provided their drink. He had assured them of the future of promise. And their conclusion is that the Lord hates them. That's what fear will do to you. Eyes on circumstances and letting fear run its course will lead to a twisting of truth and a believing of lies that will lead you to say, I will not go. I mean, in Deuteronomy 4.37, Moses says this, because he loved your forefathers and chose their descendants after them, he brought you up out of Egypt. He had said that over and over, but their fear given their circumstances twisted the truth and when it got twisted inside of them action did not come out of them oh how quickly the sinful heart runs to tragic unbelief and lies ignoring his word and his gracious works ignoring his promise and his goodness oh the tragic reality of our rebellious hearts. How sadly typical it is that we, as the people of promise, so quickly become people of panic. Turning with accusation and blame upon God when things go wrong. It's in us. Such controlling, fearful lies are the enemy of faith. And at the root of the lies is forgetfulness. Rebellion, hear this, rebellion against God is rooted in fear and forgetfulness. Why the disobedience? Why the response, we will not go up? It is fear and forgetfulness. And to fight it, we must remember what God has promised and believe in and through his word. The possession of the land is based on a promise. Verse 21, the Lord your God has given you. And they say, I will not go up. Because fear and forgetfulness lead them to unbelief, which leads to disobedience. When tempted to blame God and rebel, rest your heart, receive his word, and rehearse God's faithfulness, and then arise. But see, they did not only fail because they twisted reality because of their fear, twisted truth. They also refused to live by faith. They instead chose to live by sight. Verse 28, the people are greater and taller than us. Moses has said, it's yours. 
The Lord your God has promised and is giving it to you. Go up and take it. And rather than living by faith, they say, those people are big. Those people are, are too much. It says in Numbers 13, 23, that when they reached this valley, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. The people come back with grapes and say it's a good land, and all they can see are giants. They ignore the grapes. How quickly we ignore the blessing of promise, the grapes, and focus on the giants. And live by sight rather than faith. The obstacles to them seem larger than the promise. And that's why we need preaching. That the promise would be made big to you and to me. That we might not fear. That we might not forget that we might not live by sight. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress says this, and I love this, this hill, this hill though high, I covet to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way to life lies here. Come, pluck up, heart, Let's neither faint nor fear. Better though difficult the right way to go than wrong though easy where the end is woe. That's the heart of faith. I perceive the way of life is there though, though difficult the right way to go better than wrong though easy where the end is woe. Live by faith. God's revelation rather than by circumstantial sight. Back to John 20, Jesus, yes, condescended and showed Thomas his hands and his side, but he also after that said, when Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, he cautioned him. He said, have you believed? Because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and believed. Right there is his merciful condescension. He says, you must live by faith, Thomas. You must live by faith, not merely by sight. So I hope you see the depths of our rebellion for covenant renewal requires that of us. But also remember God's faithfulness. After they say, the Lord hated us in their tents, I, I find it very patient and loving of Moses in verse 29 that he said to them, do not be in dread or afraid of them. I think I might have said a few other things. What's wrong with y'all? But he said, because Moses understood the rebellious heart, calm down. Don't be afraid. Don't despair. I know you're focused on the giants. 
And so he preaches. Verse 30. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. He calls them, says, why should you not dread? Why should you not fear? He, he says to them, the Lord is your divine warrior. He fought for you in Egypt. He will fight for you as you go. As one commentator said, the one antidote to fear is a good covenantal memory. One antidote to fear is a good covenantal memory. They should not be afraid. The Egyptians were a far more powerful enemy than the ones they face here. And Yahweh, the divine warrior, the captain of the host, has fought for them, and they know it, and here he pledges, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to go with you. Do not be afraid. It takes us to the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preaching the good news of the gospel and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to which we may say, oh no, that sounds daunting. He says, for lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Your God will go with you and fight for you. Go in faith. That's what Moses is saying. And then he points to in verse 31. Not only is he a divine warrior, he's a loving father. In the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. They do not believe that he will go with them and they have forgotten his fatherly care. How could they possibly have made their way in such large numbers across such a dry and difficult desert wasteland? It was because they were carried along by a loving father who bore them up on his shoulders just as a proud father carries his dearly loved children, he bore with them and carried them. This same parental care in the wilderness is going with you into the land. The divine warrior, the loving father, the reliable guide in verse 33, who went before you in the way to seek you out of place, to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. Moses is pleading with them to believe. The Lord is a divine warrior. He's going to go with you. The Lord is a loving father. He will take care of you. The Lord is a reliable guide. Just like he went before you with the cloud and the fire, he promises to guide you every step. You will not be alone. He's pointing to the dependable guide of God. In a recent work of Doris Kearns Goodwin that I read, she spoke of Frederick Douglass's unwavering belief in Abraham Lincoln's word. When everyone around him was telling him he's going to go back on his word. And this is what he kept saying. If he, Abraham Lincoln, has taught us to confide in nothing else, he has taught us to confide in his word. 
How much more? The God of heaven and earth who has revealed himself in his scripture, how much more does he say to his people? Confide in my word. I will go with you. I will fight for you. I will care for you. I will guide you. And yet, verse 32. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Again, do you see the rebellious hearts and the faithfulness of God? What causes hearts to act in the face of great obstacles? Receiving and believing the promise and remembering covenant faithfulness. But they are afraid. Their fear has twisted what is true in their hearts. They are forgetful. They are ignoring the evidence of grace and choosing rebellion. We have the evidence of evidence of the grace of God and the certainty of His promises in His Son. How much more will He also, along with Him, graciously give you all things? How much more? That's the fuel for going up, taking the land. I close with a scene from C.S. Lewis's work, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. There's a young girl named Lucy. She has a brother named Edmund and their cousin Eustace, and they're taken to Narnia, where the Christ figure is a lion named Aslan. And the three of them go on a voyage, and they come to this place called the Island where dreams come true. This is actually where nightmares come true. As the ship's crew is overcome by fear, and they begin to wildly row in the darkness, each sailor hearing a different terrifying noise, huge scissors, enemies crawling up the side of the ship, loud gongs. And so what does Lucy do? She prays. Aslan! Aslan, if ever you loved us at all, send help now. A ray of light falls on the ship, and Lucy sees something in it like a cross. It's an albatross, a, a large seabird in the shape of a cross, and the albatross circles in three times and lands on the mast and then flies ahead of them, leading their ship out of the darkness and no one except Lucy heard what the albatross, as it circled the mass, whispered to her. Courage, dear heart. It was the voice of Aslan. Courage, dear hearts. In a few moments, the darkness turned into a grayness ahead, and then almost before they dared to begin hoping, they had shot out into the sunlight and were in the warm, blue world again. And all at once, everybody realized there was nothing to be afraid of and never had been. People of God, 
We are asking God for renewal in this season at LMPC. And I would say to us all, courage, dear hearts. Do not lose heart. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Do not live by sight or by lies. Live by faith in the promise. Courage, dear heart. See the deep rebellion of your heart. Courage, dear heart. Know and believe in the faithful promises of God. For that's where covenant renewal will be found. Let's pray. Oh, help us believe. Father, you see us. You see the twisting of the truth in our hearts and minds. How, how quickly we can go from believing God loves me to God's against me. How quickly we can go to believe that we're in this alone versus you are with us. How quickly we move from believing you will not keep your word. Father, we, we ask that you'd help us in our rebellion and renew us by your promise. We pray that you would give us courage for the deep, hard work that that is. And we ask this in your name. Amen.